Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. All right, welcome Supply Chain Movers and Shakers. I am Corinne Bursa and I wanna thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Tech Talk, the Digital Supply Chain Podcast. On this episode, we're gonna tap into the genius of Craig Ablin, who's been a long-term friend and led some of the world's most interesting supply chains as he helped them to harness new technology, to improve their business practices, improve processes, and serve their customers well. In fact, Craig's gonna take us through his thoughts on six levers that you can pull in your supply chain to really help marry the digital supply chain and the physical supply chain. So things that you should be thinking about each and every day and looking for opportunities to improve, streamline, and innovate your businesses. So Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So a little bit about Craig. So Craig's got a track record of over 25 years. 25 years in supply chain, in in plant operations, in commercial operations, and in leading teams around the adoption of technology to drive better decision-making each and every day. Craig, some of that experience has been with Procter & Gamble and Lassonde Pappas. Tell us a little bit about the areas of those businesses that you worked with. Yeah, so I've worked up and down the supply chain in my career everywhere from I actually ran a raw material supply support system for Procter & Gamble all the way to working directly with customers and really everything in between. And so I've worked in manufacturing, distribution, I've worked in demand planning, production planning, purchasing, commercialization of new products, uh, you know, basically soup to nuts supply chain, which is, you know, especially with Procter & Gamble, it was a really nice way to kind of grow up in my supply chain knowledge. And then I got to really apply a lot of it once I got to LaSalle Pappas. Yeah. And Craig, you've also spent time in the sales function, right? You grew, you helped to grow revenues by 42% in an industry that was under recession at the time. Tell us a little bit about that, because in that context, you become the recipient of keeping the customer happy. What was that like? Yeah, I did. That was a lot of fun, actually. The CEO one day called me to his office and said, I have a new career plan for you. And I said, what is that? And that was the time the vice president of supply chain. And he said, I'd like you to go into sales and run part of our sales organization. And, you know, I said yes. And, you know, I think the understanding of the supply chain really made me a much better leader inside the sales organization. But after actually being in the sales organization, I went back to supply chain. It made me an even better supply chain leader. I think 
understanding holistically where the data is coming from, how it integrates, how it works within the system, how you can actually communicate customer needs in a way that the operational team can understand and accept it. I think it's it's invaluable and I'm, I'm so happy I did it and was pretty successful. Yeah, we had some some really great growth with some customers that we were underdeveloped in. And it's funny, they actually, those customers actually took me more seriously having the supply chain background and not just thinking I was a salesperson. No offense to anybody watching this who's a salesperson. It's always tough with customers having credibility when they see sales behind your name. And so, you know, and, and I have to help them find solutions and grow their business. And so it was, it was really a, a fun time. Absolutely. And I can see how it would make you better in both roles, right? Understanding maybe some of the levers that you can pull with your team from a supply chain perspective to boost that service level or to offer some additional capabilities to an important customer or a customer who's growing. I mean, 42% growth is impressive in any kind of market, much less in a market that's being impacted by recession. So yeah, it was great. they didn't like me so much sometimes because I actually knew the right questions <laughs> to ask them. And, and they would say, sometimes you know too much, but it was great because we could actually partner together and solve the problems. And I knew not to push them in areas in which they couldn't make a difference. And so we grew those customers together between my sales organization, myself and the supply chain in a way in which we not only grew our business, but we serviced those customers really well. And, and it was just a, a great experience. Excellent. And I think that that's going to come through in our discussion today. So you know, I think to our audience, you can see and certainly hear why Craig brings so much to the table, being engaged in each area of the supply chain, and then having the comprehensive understanding that the supply chain executive, the vice president of supply chain is going to have across the business, but also from a sales and customer service perspective. So Craig, let's get started. Let's talk about these six levers that um, that supply chain leaders should understand and look to bring together in both the physical realm and the digital supply chain realm. So what do I do with a plan, with a better plan, or with the ability to evaluate multiple scenarios for the business? Let's start with demand management. So I I know our listeners have an appreciation for the fact that they need a forecast. They need to pull that information together but they all realize that a forecast is never going to be 100% accurate. If it were, it would be an order, right? It wouldn't be a forecast. But help us understand, you know, in your experience in looking at demand management or better managing demand might be a better way of looking at it. How have you benefited and brought to the table maybe some better demand signals or a more comprehensive plan for the business? You know, I think I think the demand plan is the heartbeat of the supply chain. It's the heartbeat of the organization because, you know, it's used for not just the supply chain for materials planning and finished product planning. It's also used for financial planning and all sorts of other things in the business. And so it is it is a place that if you are wrong, very wrong, it's going to the rest of your downstream systems don't really matter too much because you're just going to be, you know, dealing with error all the time. And so, you know, I think it's really important to start with a statistical forecast. And if you're still doing it in Excel, I would highly recommend you you find a way to get out of Excel and get to some type of technology because you need the system really to figure out a statistical forecast. And there's lots of levers within that statistical forecast, but, uh, you know, getting somebody who understands it, who can own it and really drive it is important. But the statistical forecast only gets you so far, right? It, it's only predicting that the future is going to be like the past. And we all know it, it's not going to be. And so... 
adding all sorts of demand streams into it about what the future is going to look like is extremely important to add on to that statistical forecast. And I'll give you a great example. The plans for promotion and understanding promotional plans, they're not going to happen the same way they did the previous year. You may placehold them that way for financial forecasting, but it's extremely important to connect to customers, to understand what their promotional plans are, especially if you're in private label or to your marketing organization, if you're branded and finding a way to statistically understand if the information you're getting even makes sense. So I'll give you an example. We had a, a mass customer in the mass segment who we had terrible error. Our forecast error was, was awful. It was about 23% forecast accuracy. The error was really high. And we actually reached out to them. We started working directly with their buying organization. We started connecting together with our demand signals and understanding what they were going to do. And we actually improved them 70%. And the really cool thing was we started getting promotions from them in which we would look at our statistical history and say, what are you doing differently? Because that promotion doesn't make any sense at all. It's double what you normally would have done. And actually we won uh, most flawless execution supplier from them of the year, not just private label at the time, but of the year, because they were so appreciative because we caught on several occasions where they would have doubled up their inventory if we hadn't have been using our data to connect back to them. You know, we actually improved our entire uh, demand uh, error by 30%. And so, you know, we went from, you know, a really bad high error to, to not, not so bad. You're right. It's the beginning and, and there's still going to be error. And that's why you hear me say the word error and not forecast accuracy, because I don't like creating false pretenses with the organization. It's, it's always going to have error. And I agree with you. So when it comes to your demand plan or your forecast for the business, there will always be an error rate associated with it. But the goal here is to boost the accuracy and to use that as an indicator really to synchronize the rest of your supply chain operations. So let's go from there, Craig, and talk about inventory planning, right? Because inventory becomes our leverage point. We're making an investment. Many companies are you know, managing safety stock policies in their businesses. And you know, unfortunately, some just apply a safety stock policy like peanut butter, right? The same policy, regardless of the type of inventory, fast mover or slow mover, seasonal or, or, or non-seasonal. So there are a lot of variables that can come into play to offer greater precision around inventory. But what recommendations would you have that really illustrate some of the value in better digital supply chain practices and how that results in a better physical supply chain for the business? Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head with peanut butter spreading your inventory parameters. You know, there's two types of parameters I would call. There's one in your ERP system the parameters you're going to use for material ordering, mostly sometimes for finished product planning. And then if you have a supply chain system, you're going to have other parameters in there for your inventory. So let me start with the ERP system. I think it's critically important to understand what all of those parameters do. I'll give you a great example because supply chain sometimes is just about being simple and the problems that seem great are actually one parameter. And if you change it, you can solve problems. We were having issues with uh, not having materials on time where they're supposed to be, or even in the mounts, they weren't being ordered in the amounts. The, the material planning folks were working like crazy, working really hard, but they weren't working smart with the parameters. And so, right. you know, there, there's a parameter called order period in a lot of folks' uh, ERP system. Order period is when I order, how much am I ordering? So if it's one, you're ordering a day's worth. 
Mm -hmm. Well, we found out the issue was simply they had one in their order parameter and they should have had 30 because at the time we were buying 30 days worth. And so they were manually trying to figure out the one to 30 and they're doing all this work and they just weren't ordering the right amount because, and they were blaming suppliers and all sorts of things. And we changed it to 30 and actually our schedule adherence went up 15%. So meaning, meaning the, the plant, when they ran, did they run to the schedule we expected? And it went up 15% just by changing one parameter in the ERP system. Yep. Then there's also the inventory parameters in, in a logistics system. And then I think your point that you've already made is what's really important is grouping them in the way in which they act similarly, whether it's a similar seasonality, it's a similar take rate, whatever it is, and then finding the right parameter use. I like using demand variability. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the goal is to make and to make it to your next production cycle, right? Inventory should help you get to your next production cycle so you don't have to break in and cause efficiency issues on the line. And if you can have the right understanding of your demand variability, you can build enough inventory to cover an average peak of that demand variability and be able to get to your next production cycle most times. Yep. So I I do think that um, as a supply chain leader, you need to, to step back and think of these as levers that you can pull and tune to your business looking at the the policies that are being set, looking at seasonality, looking at promotional demand. I know you shared just a minute ago around demand management, just very quickly said promotional demand, but when you're in grocery and you're talking promotional demand in grocery, I mean, you see huge increases in demand. You know, sometimes for some companies, you know, as much as 300%, the volume changes during those promotional periods. And that can be with one retail partner versus another retail partner. So as you look at that, it it really transitions what's produced or what's labeled. You mentioned private label, that just increases the complexity here as well. I think it is a part of the mix because that private label inventory is dedicated to one customer, right? Absolutely. You know, and, and what's really important, Corinne, is that you can't set your parameters and walk away and think three years from now, they'll be the same. You need to be reviewing them at least once a quarter in order to understand that they still make sense. And you mentioned promotions. And as we, as we talk about uh, everybody working from home has dogs, I assume. And so, uh, and so we, uh, you know, I think it's really important with promotional actually is to look at your safety stocking policies associated with your promotional plan. Cause one of the mistakes, you know, a lot of people make is they have a safety stock plan, they have this spike in demand and their, their parameters don't adjust for the spike in demand. So you come out of the promotion with a ton of inventory because it was safety stocking based on the demand that you were forecasting. And you need to make sure you're also, you're managing that so out of a promotion, you're not significantly stocked. Yep, yep. So we've talked a little bit about demand, right? Those demand signals, you've just mentioned inventory policies and looking at demand variability as a, as a part of setting some of your inventory policies and actively managing or make sure that your systems, your digital supply chain is able to help you with that in the mix. Let's talk a little bit about production, right? About manufacturing and where we sometimes see a disconnect in those digital plans and what actually gets produced in specific time horizons. Help us understand Craig a little bit about how you brought digital and physical capabilities here to really expand capacity or focus capacity on on demand. You know, uh, production planning is where the money is. You know, I I actually had early in my career, a guy I respected at Procter & Gamble and I asked him in my supply chain career, what's the one thing I should go do 
that most people don't actually spend their time doing, which will help me be a supply chain leader. And he said, go production plan when you're early in your career. And, and I did, I went to manufacturing and did some production planning. And so, you know, I think what's really important, first of all, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of centralized planning. It doesn't mean you can't do it with decentralized planning. I think centralized planning makes more sense. And if you're gonna centralize your planning, it's really important to have the voice of the plant represented uh, inside your systems. And so I'm a huge believer that run order makes a massive difference in your production planning. And what I mean by that is you really figure out the most efficient way to run in the plant. What is the most efficient way to run? You work with the plant on their changeovers, their you know, kosher to non-kosher to whatever affects your business, uh, organic, all those types of things, and figure out the most efficient way you could possibly run in the plant. Now, obviously, you're going to have to marry that with service and inventory as a supply chain from a planning perspective. But if you can go figure that out, it makes a huge difference in the system auto-generating the most efficient plan first, and then you can adjust it for service and inventory as you need to. And, and you really, you're going to hear me say throughout this, you have to optimize those three together. And so I'll give you a great example. Uh, we had a manufacturing plant that was running seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They were getting help from another plant, almost a full day's worth of production. So they were really eight days a week. Mm. And we went in and really took a hard look at their production schedule. And, you know, we had an item that was running every day. We found a way to run it only on Mondays for 30 hours instead, right? And, and there's all sorts of uh, side impacts you get. If they know they're always starting with that item, you never have material problems anymore because they know, they, they know they're going to have at least a 20 or 30 hour run of that item every, that every, every week. And so they're getting things out of freezers. They're making sure things are delivered. As simple as that sounds, it was, it was complicated. But in the end, we, we gained capacity. We did it on every plant and every line. And without any capital investment, we gained between 14 and 40% capacity on every line in the system. Every line gained capacity. That 14, plant happened again. Wait a minute. 14 to 40%? 40. Four that plant actually gained 40% capacity. Wow. Uh, that plant went from running eight days a week to running six days a week. Uh, we utilized some of that capacity in other ways for service and inventory. And, uh, you know, not only did people not have to work on Sundays anymore, which that culture part we don't talk about much is really important. If you're going to centralize planning, the plant has to think you're on their side because you are on their side, but they actually have to perceive it and see it and believe it. Mm -hmm. And as people started getting days off and as the other plant that was helping them started getting days off, because we'd push them to a schedule that wasn't normal, that caused tons of overtime, uh, you know, we saved a million dollars in product transfers on an annualized basis. And so that was great also. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tangible, but I bet morale went up when they got a little time off and the ability to spend with their families, maybe. It did. And so just looking at the run order, understanding what it should be, working with the plants, trying to stick to it, making some changes for inventory or service, having the system generate it on a regular basis. So a lot of folks are uh, uh, creating their own production plan. They spend a ton of time creating it. It's so important to have a system that generates it based on the parameters you're putting in, like the run order, so that your production planners spend their time editing for service and inventory. They don't spend their time creating a production plan and never really right. looking at it to understand if it's any good. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, again, Craig, your experience from so many different uh, perspectives comes into play here. So you mentioned a couple of things in your discussion. You were talking a lot about service level. So clearly service level is critical. That's what the that, that's one of the measures that the, the customer is going to see and feel, right? What is their on-time in full and is it the quality that they expected? But I think that that also plays into 
how you balance or the levers you pull around your inventory policies, right? If you've got certain customers that actually have a higher service level requirement around them, you need to be able to bring that in to your digital supply chain initiative so that you understand that and it's applied to the right part of your product portfolio and that's flowing through all the way from demand to those inventory policies in here, as you've expressed, right into looking at line level loading and efficiently placing that demand for production um, at various facilities. Fair enough? Absolutely. And you know, Corinne, with all this work, the demand and inventory and production all together, we actually increased our service levels from a 95.2% fill rate to 99.7% fill rate. And we actually demonstrated that 99.7 every month for years. Wow. And, and so it, I do believe that you do have to make choices from mm-hmm. a customer standpoint, especially if you're maxed out in capacity. But I prefer to service them all if I can. You know, that's, that's part of the reputation I personally gained with customers is, mm-hmm. is, is, you know, we're going to bring you service. And at the same time, we're going to ha- need to understand what you need and how you need it and what your demand looks like. And if you can help us do that, then we're going to give you service. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've already given us an example of where one, one plant was maxed out at eight days a week, right? So the first question is, how the heck do you run eight days a week? Tell us a little bit, um, Craig, do you have experience in working with co-manufacturers or co-packers? Now, our audience may not be familiar with these terms. Maybe they're not prevalent in their line of business, but this is the ability to tap into some extra capacity. How do you manage through a partner network like that in bringing, again, together your digital plan with the actual make, move, deliver aspects of supply chain? Yeah, so I've packed for folks as well as I've had folks pack for me. And I would call it the most difficult of all of it from a digital supply chain standpoint. Is it? Okay. It, it, is, it is the most difficult of all of it because the rest of it, at least you're all working for the same company. You can rally the plant around you know, giving it a try. And then when they see the results, they're believers. Like you can do all of that, right? But when you're working with a completely different company, it's a lot with completely different systems, it's a lot more difficult. And so, you know, I think what's really critical is trying to link through a portal is trying to have real-time connectivity. Too many folks build their systems with not real-time connectivity. Maybe where they get reports in the morning or they get them every other morning and then they have to key them in or IT brings them in in a flat file and pushes them into your systems. But what I found is if you have those types of systems, you don't really know if your loads have shipped. You don't know what they've made. You don't know how they've made it. You don't know if you're going to have service issues because your systems are in, you know, behind. And mm-hmm. so... I think it's really critical to somehow connect with them from a real-time standpoint through some type of portal or some type of data exchange. You know, I'll give you an example. We had a uh, somebody making for us who who everybody hated. They hated them because they never delivered. It was a really important part of the business. It was service was terrible. The organization had gotten really used to just blaming them and moving on instead of trying to solve the problem and you know, I went down there with some of my team and we really connected. Some of this is, is digital, but some of this is about people and relationships and collaboration also. And if you can get with a packer that it's a partnership, not a co-packer relationship or co-manufacturing relationship, and if you can do some things for them and they can do some things for you, and then you can get them to connect to you with their data and make it real time and spend some of their IT time to do that, 
then the relationship gets a lot better. And the, the specific example I gave you, I'll use schedule adherence again, because that was really important. They were making things that weren't what we asked for. They were making amounts more or less than what we asked for. We were at 15% schedule adherence. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. I want to make sure our audience hears that 15, one, five percent. One, five. That we is were, disappointing, shall we and say. Our service, <laughs> our service was terrible because of that, right? right? And our planners were annoyed and frustrated. Well, we did a ton of work with them from a data standpoint and a connectivity standpoint, but a lot of it was the relationship part of going down, looking at their line, having conversations. We actually got them all the way up to 85% schedule adherence. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which, which is really pretty good in a co-packer relationship. It can be better than that, but from 15% to 85%, we were really proud of that. And, you know, the service obviously went up significantly associated with that also. Yeah, and, inventory, so and inventory came down. And inventory right? came down, right? Because the velocity was moving and you didn't have to buffer against their poor performance. In the yeah, you had the right things. You had the right, right things on the floor. When you have the wrong things on the floor, your inventory is going to blow Absolutely. Absolutely. Too much of the wrong stuff, not enough of the right stuff. I'm oversimplifying, but a lot of times it comes down to that. So again, we, we, we hit on several topics here that you just interweave so well, um, but I want to step back and, and maybe highlight just a couple of those. So one of them was data and communications frequency, right? Or, or how regularly that happens. Once a day is not enough in the mix, but also trusting the data that's being shared comes into play as well. And I think more and more as we continue to pro progress in the areas of digital supply chain and the application of machine learning and artificial intelligence, data becomes even more important, right? Because these technology engines are, are hungry and they want data and they want a lot of data and will be able to sift through very quickly to find the signal and, and release the noise, if you will, but I do think when you're working with a collaborative partner, um, like a co-manufacturer or a co-packer, and those terms are very commonly used in consumer products, consumer goods, food and beverage, you will also hear those terms frequently in pharmaceutical as well. And so any of our listeners who happen to be in those industries should kind of tune into that and understand that you can plan your production schedules, you can use your digital technology to plan those schedules, but that execution element becomes critical and you've got to build that relationship and trust. And Craig, like you said, get out there, get some eyes on the scene and understand what, what their process is and how they execute a plan that you give them. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so great example. You went from 15% schedule adherence. So again, tell our audience, what does schedule adherence mean and why is that important? Yeah, schedule adherence means they're making the amount I asked for, the item I asked for, and the timing I asked for. And so if they're not making what you want, when you want, when you need it, right, then you're going to have service issues, too much inventory. Uh, it, it's basically a, a great way with a co-packer to make sure they're meeting your, your needs. Yep, absolutely. And I recommend that you look at schedule adherence inside your own network as well. Um, that, 100%. Yeah, that, 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 that's a metric that is followed frequently as well. It'll help to get your production uh, team members on board with the plan that's presented to them. Um, and, and they can start understanding, you know, that the days that things are manufactured or the sequence in which that is done is, is offered up to them for a reason. It may yeah, usually, usually, usually when plant, internal manufacturing plants don't have schedule adherence, there's a reason. Yep. There's a material supply problem. There's a, 
they told you something was more efficient, but then they realized it's not and they haven't told you to change your run order yet. There's almost always a reason. And actually schedule adherence is a great way to measure your production plan and, and having somebody manage those exceptions and understand them and then go solve those root cause, solve those problems is, is uh, go like gold in the system. Excellent, excellent example. So now we have, we, we have created a forecast. We've looked at inventory policies and bringing together some of those digital elements around service, around investment, around location and safety stocks. Um, we've looked at our production uh, capabilities and supply side constraints. Let's talk about actually moving those products. Let's talk about transportation. Give us an example of bringing together the digital supply chain and the physical supply chain. And before you do that, I want to just reinforce that for our listeners, transportation is critically important because this is the delivery of goods to your customer, but it's also critically important to do it in an efficient and effective manner because that's pure cost. The product is manufactured at that point in time. So every, every dime you save, every dollar you save in the area of providing great service and delivery goes straight to your bottom line, straight to the profitability for the business. So Craig, maybe give us an example in the area of transportation where you've brought digital and physical together to better serve customers and to look at costs pretty, pretty acutely as well. Yeah, I think it's really important in transportation to make a decision whether or not it's a core competency of your organization. If you own trucks and that's what you do, you know, obviously you're going to manage transportation and you're going to have your own digital systems and you're going to be doing research and development in those systems and finding ways to continue to improve them. You know, the organization I, I worked last for that was not a core competency. So we made a decision to go to a third party. Um, I would personally, unless it's a huge core competency of your organization, I would recommend that because that's what they do for a living. And so, you know, the third party transportation companies are investing in technology. They are, uh, they, their data systems in transportation are significantly better. Their leverage with carriers is greater than what you're going to have in most organizations you're in. And so, you know, Corinne, what I've found is by, by leveraging a third party, by managing them, by partnering with them, by looking at the exceptions to the data with them, that you can really drive significant dollars out of the organization. So in my in my time of doing that, when we first switched to a third party, we saved $650,000 in SG&A, right? We had people that weren't managing it anymore. Uh, and then we also saved $6 million over the years. Even as transportation was going up, we saved $6 million over the years as we continued to, to lower it. And, and to the organization I was in, $6 million was a lot, right? So this wasn't yeah. Procter & Gamble. This wasn't, you know, and so we continued to drive it down. Now, that, that money got reinvested in lots of other things, you know, as commodities went up, we didn't take price increases at customers and all those kind of things. And so, uh, but what I've also found is they can, they can significantly help you with service because they're spending money on AI in order to predict service problems and start to, to see that something's going to happen. They're seeing there's a, an accident. They're seeing there's a concert letting out. They're seeing that all sorts of things are happening and they're building you know, AI information systems in order to be able to do that. And as a, as a manufacturer, that's just not where you need to spend your money. You need to be buying more equipment and you need to be doing mm -hmm. those type of things rather than trying to focus on that. And so, you know, we've, we've significantly increased, we had the company I worked for significantly increased our, not only our leverage with carriers, but our bottom line by, by utilizing their technology rather than trying to do it ourselves. 
Right. So again, you said several uh, important things there, I think. So the first is the plan, right, or the optimized plan for transportation. And the second is to make sure that that is coordinated or synchronized with your actual carriers, those that are doing the physical movement of goods. I also don't want to don't want to buzz by the fact that you mentioned artificial intelligence in this area of transportation. So I think that this is a great practical example of applying artificial intelligence to help predict when orders are going to be late or when there may be a particular problem or challenge in a lane that is normally used and you can be proactive about calling the customer and allowing them, you know, letting them know what's going on, why a shipment might be late or what the disruption is. It's a completely different relationship when you're able to make that phone call proactively than when you get the phone call inbound and your your customer's a little upset in the the mix. Where's my, where are my products, right? Absolutely. Corinne, I can give you, uh, let me give you a micro example that that kind of goes across, across all this. So we had a customer that our cost was high in our, in our manufacturing lanes, our inventory was high, our service was fine, and our, our production was kind of fine, right? We were making, but we just had too much inventory and our, our transportation costs were really high. Mm-hmm. What we figured out with our partner is the ordering flow from that customer was really jagged. It, they would order 15 trucks in a day, and then they wouldn't order for two weeks. And they'd want 15 trucks to go out. And, 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 you know, sometimes, you know, as an executive, and even as the folks who are doing the work, you get busy, and you don't think to look for those things, right? And, and our, our partner spoke up and said, look, our hardest part is we're trying to get 15 trucks on one day, and there's no spread of this demand at all. And so we did, we did work with that customer mm-hmm. to spread out the demand. Uh, to work with them on, you know, they were on a manual ordering system. And so that person got to it once every two weeks, they put in all their orders and they moved along, right? Because they didn't realize the effect they were having on the whole system, including some service problems. It created service problems for them. That was their skin in the game because we couldn't do it. We couldn't do all 15 trucks in a day. And so, you know, we worked them with them to actually spread the orders out more across, you know, three or four or five days to, to order maybe eight in one week and seven in the next week. And as they did that, our service went up significantly for them. Our cost went down because now we can spread it out and we could work with all the, you know, all the, the carriers on, on spreading it out. Mm-hmm. So they're giving us better rates. And, and our inventory went down because our inventory was consistently being taken versus not taken for ages and then a big chunk and then not taken for ages and a big chunk. And so everybody really won from that situation, but it was about understanding the data and, yep. and looking at it from a defect standpoint and then trying to solve that defect. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Um, it, it brings to mind a, a consumer goods uh, customer that I worked with for a number of years when they stepped back and looked at transportation. They were actually shipping three times a week to one of their largest big box retailers. And, and in that mix, you know, one was their normal replenishment deliverable. And on Wednesdays, they would ship their promotional demand. Right. So they those were just two days apart and it was creating congestion. And, you know, the outcome was looking at the business relationship, collaborating and saying, can we bring these two shipments together and can we get you your product, both promotional product and replenishment product on the same day in one set of shipments out to your various uh, distribution centers? And it was kind of a no-brainer. It saved them money. It freed up their docks for other goods to come in. 
and it really streamlined the relationship. And I think it was a win-win. There were commercial financial wins for both parties as a part of using digital planning, if you will, in the area of transportation to really optimize when, how much, and where those shipments should be uh, placed. So yeah, I think I, I, I think I know who that's a, that customer is because we did the same work. We, uh, yeah, the promotional work, promotions always came in on a Wednesday and the other orders came in Monday or Tuesday to ship Monday or Tuesday and those were Wednesday and we got them to combine them also. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned that example. It is, it is, but it's, it, it obviously impacted their relationships with a lot of different suppliers once they, once they became aware of it and the opportunity to just work their, their distribution centers and, and their docks a lot more efficiently as well. Since we're talking about that, Craig, I want to step back, if you will, to, to more of an executive process and talk about sales and operations planning. And for, for our audience today, sales and operations planning, if you're interested in another episode of Tech Talk, look at episode number four that really focuses on three things the C-level executives need to know about sales and operations planning. Um, and that the business process of sales and operations planning is really a comprehensive plan of the business, looking at sales, the demand signals, the commitments for a customer, along with your operational capabilities um, and how you're producing, storing, and moving those goods to market. This isn't intended to be a tactical process. It is intended to be more operational and strategic in nature. And for most businesses, when they're in the early stages, of sales and operations planning, it is all about firefighting. But the goal is to get out of the firefighting just as quickly as you can and start getting more proactive. So you can look at some of the examples here that Craig has, has shared with us today to look at actually making changes or addressing core issues instead of simply battling the outcomes that are coming from bad behaviors or limited visibility or reliability in the business. So the other thing I would say, Craig, before I get your, um, your perspective on this is as you mature in your sales and operations planning process, I want you to be sure to think about both the volume metric numbers, how much, what's that quantity in cases or pounds or, or, or tonnage that you're moving through your supply chain, but also think in terms of financial measures. This is critically important for your executive team because the higher you're getting into an organization, Certainly key products are important and get discussed, key customers are important and get discussed, but they're also looking at the guidance for the business and that top line growth and the bottom line profitability. So think about your financial measures as well as those volumetric measures. So Craig, from your perspective, talk to us a little bit about again, marrying the digital supply chain capabilities with the actual physical supply chain in responding and leveraging a sales and operations planning process. Yeah, SNLP is where it, is, is where it all comes together. And if you, if you don't do it in supply chain, you'll be getting direction from usually three different leaders in the organization. You have the chief customer officer, you have the chief operating officer and the chief financial officer. And although they all want the same thing for the business, what they're measured by and what they're driving is different. You know, the chief financial officer wants the forecast to be accurate because that's what they're using hopefully for that financial forecast, but they also want working capital to be low, right? The chief customer officer wants service for the customers and the chief operating officer wants efficiency in the manufacturing facilities typically, depending on what how much they own. And so 
you know, SNLP is where, you know, all the things that we've talked about today all come together in which you're optimizing your inventory, your service, and your production throughput all together, as well as your transportation. And even the morale piece, because that's the HR manager, although they're not always part of SNOP, they usually report to somebody in SNOP who want to who wants to understand the effect it's having on morale. And so, you know, I, Corinne, it's 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 critically important because it makes all three of those folks that I mentioned, including the CEO, get on the same page. Because you cannot you cannot you can manage two of those things optimally, but not the third always, unless you're tr- and you can somewhat optimally manage all three together and there need to be trade-offs, right? You can have inventory and service, but you may have bad production capabilities, right? Or you can have uh, really long runs and great service, but your inventory is bloated, right? And it's managing all three of those together. And SNLP is, is where it happens. And I agree with the financial part of it. You really need to show the financial effect that SNLP is having, the transportation dollars, the inventory dollars, the the, the accuracy of the financial forecast based on the demand plan. Those things are sometimes not in there if you're too operational, mm-hmm. but you do also have to make sure that you are, are matching supply and demand together and then making critical choices. And, and one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give somebody who's struggling with their SNOP process is by the time you get to the executive level, it should be some information to make sure they understand the picture and one or two things they have to make a decision on and they should be pre-warned about the decision they have to make. It shouldn't be 30 things you're asking for them to make because you know, as a VP or a director, that's your job you know, as, as a group of people to get together and make those decisions. And you may inform them of some of those decisions if, if they need to know, but it's, look, we can't agree on these two things and we need your perspective from a business standpoint to, ha- to help make a decision on these two items. And I think that's what the SNOP really can drive. Yeah. Hey, that that is great insight. And I I think that that's a very effective way to use the executive review of the sales and operations planning process. And it's 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 a great picture of how both the digital planning capabilities and the physical capabilities of the business come together. Vitally important as you think of onboarding new customers or you look at new product introductions or optimizing inventory across your network as well. You want to understand what those changes are going to be and how you can respond and take advantage of market conditions to either, you know, increase or to, excuse me, increase revenue or perhaps mitigate risk associated uh, with execution and, you know, in a certain time horizon. So, so Craig, you've taken us through really six areas. So I want, I want to say those one more time. We talked about demand management. We talked about inventory policies. We talked about production really in two flavors, if you will. So production planning and management inside your organization where you have a lot of control and influence over the lines and the planning and the process that's available, but also working with partners, partners that may be co-manufacturers or co-packers and utilizing that capacity and performance there to satisfy your demand signal. And we also talked then about, okay, it's time to, time to move those goods. So some key insights in the area of transportation. And then finally, bringing it all together around a sales and operations planning process. Now, Craig, you've got more than 25 years of experience in supply chain, right? And you've worked in several of these areas or managed the initiatives over these areas um, for a number of years. Which one is the hardest? Which area is the hardest to bring about change? 
Yeah. So originally I said co-manufacturing, right? But but I'll back off that one for the moment because not everybody's doing that, right? Only okay. some people are doing it. So if you're doing co-manufacturing, I think that can be the hardest part because the, the, the connection of data systems is just really complicated. But if I back off that, I think it's I think it's getting a great production plan. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really understanding how plants need to run, what the variation of demand is, understanding what your inventory policies need to be because they all come into your production plan. And so it relies on all the other pieces. And so that makes it the most difficult because it, if you have a bad inventory plan, your production plan is a problem. If you have a bad demand plan, your production plan is a problem. It's where all of it gets married. And you have another entity called your manufacturing facility, which is kind of usually used to doing what they want. And, and convincing plant managers and plant leaders and line leaders that you're their partner and you're willing to, to do things to help them to drive their needs and their culture and their throughputs. You know, there's a lot of um, connectivity work that has to be done there also because typically manufacturing plants don't tend to trust corporate offices entirely. They kind of build their own areas and, and trust each other. And so, you know, I would say production planning. All right, great point. And, and I think even when you think of digital supply chain, um, capabilities, production planning is challenging because the set of parameters and constraints may be different on each and every line or within each and every facility, depending upon when those lines were, were put into practice or put into use, the equipment that's there, the maintenance schedules that need to be um, managed as well. So it is an area that's got a lot of constraints in it and a lot of specialization from you know, one location to another location or one line to another line, even within the same facility. So yeah, think about Think about it, Corinne, just, just in order to figure out a good downtime or changeover matrix, sorry, you have to figure out all your items connected to each item, every single one of them and what that changeover would be to find out what the ideal uh, run rate is going to be. And so you're you have to work through stuff that doesn't normally run next to each other and figure out what that changeover would be. And that's just the beginning of figuring out a good run order. Absolutely. So Craig Ablin, this has been so much fun for me. And I want to thank you for joining us here today on Tech Talk. It's a great opportunity for me to bring somebody I really admire and have worked with over the years and just share some key insights with our audience today about bringing together both the digital supply chain and the physical supply chain to improve service, reduce costs, and get things operating in a way that are really going to allow your business to work more efficiently and more effectively as you strive to grow revenue and expand profitability. So thanks so much for being with us today, Craig. Thanks, Corinne, it's been a ton of fun. Great, so I hope that this has helped to to raise your supply chain IQ today. And on the note of raising your supply chain IQ, I wanna remind you to go to supplychainnow.com and tap into many of the great resources and programs that are available for you there. And while you're there, please find Tech Talk, that's T-E-K-T-O-K, and subscribe. You don't want to miss a single episode. Thanks again. This is Corinne Versa, your host for Tech Talk.